Yes, I, there's no challenge. We're learning something different every week. Uh, last week, we learned some uh, Reb Tzadik from Rishi Laila and Hanukkah. This week, we're staying in that mode. Reb Tzadik was a Talmud of the Ishbitzer. So we're learning this week from the Sefer Beis Yankiv, Alatayra. Beis Yankiv, Reb Yankiv Liner, was the son of the Ishbitzer, so a contemporary and a colleague, a peer of Reb Tzadik. Um, and uh, he follows very much in the style of, of his father, of the Ishbitzer of the Mea Shalayach. Okay, so here, Beis Yankiv Alatayra, Parshas Vayigash, he said, Simon Chof Base. Okay. Fine. Um, before we jump in, here's a deep question. <clears throat> How do you reconcile? This is like every DMC, they call it DMC, Deep Meaningful Conversation, in every dorm room at three in the morning. How do you reconcile between Bechira and Hashkacha? How is the free choice, and yet everything is orchestrated by Hashem? Classic philosophical quandary. Okay, so here's one approach from the Beis Yankiv. Uh, here we go. Okay. Yesef HaTzadik is speaking. He's speaking to his brothers after he has revealed his identity, and he says to them, Behold, you did not send me here. Rather, God sent me here. You didn't do it. What do you mean you didn't do it? <laughs> they threw him in a pit. They, then they pulled him out and they sold him to, into slavery. And uh, what do you mean you didn't do it? Well, you know, you did it, but really Hashem was in charge the whole time. That's what he's telling them. He's telling them, don't worry, the Eivishter is in charge. Whatever you did, that's your husband, but the Eivishter was orchestrating the whole thing. Okay. So says the Beis Yankiv, to understand this. What was Yasef, what chiddush, what newsflash was he revealing to his brothers? I mean, obviously they, they were believing Jews. They believed in Ashkacha Pratis. <laughs> they understood that idea. Didn't all of the Shvatim, didn't all of Yesus' brothers know this? Be'emes, nothing could really happen without Hashem's supervision. I mean, we're assuming that the, the Shvatim were, uh, they learned Pneumius HaToyra, they, they understood Hashkachopratis. I mean, it was before the Baal Shem Tov, but they were the Shvatim after all. So, we're assuming, didn't they know Hashgacha Pratis? So what's what's the newsflash that Yesef Tzadik is telling them that even though you sent me, but really the Eivishter had his plan? Okay, so that's that's the Beis Yankov's question. Omnom, however, Kavonis Yesef Bezehu Lenachem Eisam Yesef's intent was to comfort them and to speak to their hearts. He was trying to placate them. He was trying to calm them. He was trying to uh, what, assuage their guilt. Is that the right word? Yeah. Sellers remorse. What? Sellers remorse. Oh, that's bad. Oh, wow. <laughs> Sellers remorse because they sold him. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty morbid. That's dark humor. 
Okay, so he wanted to comfort them that they should feel better. Shebeemis. Kivnu, heim. That in truth, they targeted to the depth of Hashem's will. Not that that was what they were thinking. Obviously, that wasn't their thought process. But he's telling them, you guys, you should know something. Whatever your thought process was. I understood. I understand. You hated me and all that. Whatever your thought process might have been, you you hit the nail on the head. You, You nailed it. You got it. You hit the target. Because this was exactly what Hashem wanted. And you're... What, what you want to call it? Your uh, your ill will towards me? Whatever it is. Okay, that's a different discussion. But it happened to perfectly coincide with with exactly what Hashem wanted to get done. Valiyodom, and that through their hands, Yotze lepoil Ritzenius Barich, Hashem's will was able to be fulfilled. He's like, congratulations, guys. You were the shliach of Hashem. You did it. You carried out Hashem's will. That wasn't what you had in mind, but I want you to know you carried out Hashem's will. And now the Bisyankiv starts to get personal. He starts to say how this applies in a timeless manner to all of us. This is a sort of spiritual principle that doesn't just apply to the Shvatim, but this is something Yasef is telling the Shvatim that we could apply to ourselves. He be'emes, because in truth, Hashem is going to clarify for the Jewish people. This is a very wild statement. I, I mean, if, if, I, if it wasn't written here from a Bar Samcha, from such a reliable source, it would be hard to say such a thing. And we have to take this slow, we have to explain it, we have to Make sure we know what it means, because something like this, you take this the wrong way and you run with it and uh, could cause problems. So the Besyanka says, <laughs> I got your attention now. You yeah, you could do whatever. Yeah, of course, it's just, just helping Hashem. I was only trying to help Hashem. Okay. That in the future, what's going to happen? Hashem is in the future, meaning in the Messianic future, when Mashiach comes, when, when this whole thing is completed. So Hashem is going to clarify for the Jewish people. Shekol chatom. All of their sins. Was only like the matter, the Isa Bashas that's brought in Gemara, where in Nazar, Daf, Chav, Gimel, Amadalaf, there's a Mishnah there. There's a Mishnah there at the beginning of the Daf. It says a case, it says a few cases, but one of the cases is Isha Shenodra ben Nazir, a woman made a Nazarite vow. She said she's going to become a Nazir. Bashama Baila, and her husband heard the Hefer law, and he nullified. He, uh, he was, he, what, what, what's the, the, the correct translation for it? And not annulled or nullified. With it. What's the difference? There's two different things. Is uh, hafara hafara is he invalidated? Maybe that's the right translation. He invalidated it for her. Hey, for law, 
But here's the catch. Here's the scenario. She didn't know. She didn't know that he invalidated her Nazarite vow. And she went and she drank wine, thinking that she's violating her Nazarite vow, not knowing that her Nazarite vow was already removed from her. So says the Mishnah, Tzricha Slicha, she needs forgiveness. Hashem Hashem will forgive her, but she needs to get forgiveness. Not like there's not like nothing that requires forgiveness. It does require forgiveness, but Hashem's going to forgive her. The, the Mishnah says this. She doesn't get Malchus. She doesn't get the lashes. Actually, it's a Machlekes because uh, not really a Rabbi Yehuda. Whenever, whenever Rabbi Yehuda comes after the Tanakhama, he's never Chalik on the Tanakhama. He's only being Masif. So he actually agrees with the Tanakhama that uh, that uh, she doesn't get Malchus, but Rabbi Yehuda says that she may be Makis uh, Mardus, rabbinical lashes, just to, you know, that people shouldn't think it's a cool thing. <laughs> just, uh, you know, put a, put a damper on it. But for sure, she's not really high of Malchus because she didn't really violate anything because the whole Naziris was already removed from her. Sha'af ki loy ba'oymik. Because even though, in terms of the oymik, the depth of the situation, the real kavana that Hashem had in mind, she didn't do anything. She really didn't do anything. Nevertheless, she still needs forgiveness. She does need forgiveness. But she didn't really do anything wrong. She thinks she did something wrong. And for that itself, she needs forgiveness. Because she thought she was rebelling. But really, she wasn't doing anything wrong. Because according to the limits of her, the parameters of her thinking, as far as she knows, as much information as she has, she did indeed sin. Okay, that's the case in the Mishnah. So says the Beis Yankiv, So are all of the sins of the Jewish people. That's a categorical statement. All the sins of the Jewish people. Okay, don't run away in the middle of this and go take this as a blank check. We have to take this very seriously. Like, hold on there till the end. But the Beis Yankov says all the sins of the Jewish people, meaning throughout history, throughout all the generations, anything anyone did, pago, is like somebody who ate unripe fruit. It's an expression. The Gemara says it about, uh, about David Melech that really um, Bathsheba was meant for him and it was really a uh, shidduch, it was really meant to be, it was beshert, but uh, whatever, it was just the timing. Ask me what's the most important part of telling a joke. Timing. That's good. You want the you want the five year old version of that, like for little kids? Okay, knock knock. No, I'm gonna say knock knock. Interrupting cow. Interrupting cow. Moo. 
I had to really concentrate to do that. You knew that? Interrupting yeah, yeah, yeah. cow? Yeah. Moo. Yeah. There's, by the way, variations of that joke. I've heard the variations, so that'll be next. You want, you want to hear? Okay. okay. Knock, knock. Who's there? Interrupting sheep. Interrupting bah! Sheep. <laughs> yeah, okay. So you, from there, you could extrapolate the different sirofim of this joke. Okay. So, yeah, we keep it kosher. We keep it kosher, of course. Of course. Yeah. So, uh, it's all about timing. It's all about timing. So, really... There's nothing. Yeah, yeah, premature, premature. So it was just it was just the wrong timing. Should have waited. Should have waited. Shabbat Amik. Adamarishan also had that problem. That's right. Yeah, it's the famous Shach Alatayra that he says that the three years of Orla from a from a fruit tree are the tikkun for the three hours that Adamarishan was supposed to wait because he was created at noon, he was commanded at 3 p.m. And uh, no, he was, I'm sorry, he was created at noon. And what is this? Gomorrah and Sanhedrin. And he had until 6 p.m., right? Shabbos would have come in. It was like an even day, I guess, you know, like in Venezuela. Mm-hmm. You ever been to like Venezuela? Like 6 a.m. is Alay, 6 p.m. is Shkia. It's like, Okay, and it was 6 p.m. was Shabbos, and, it, and then uh, he, he would have taken from the, the Eitz Hadas, which according to one opinion was a geffen, would have squeezed it and made, uh, made Kiddush from the juice, and he, uh, but he, he was nichshel three, at 3 p.m. At 3 p.m. he was nichshel, and so if he would have waited three hours, he could have been Mashiach, and he could have made Kiddush on the Eitz Hadas, and everything would have been fine. With no untoward results. So Shach that's one of the Talmidim of the Arizal. Not the same Shach as the Shach in uh, in, in uh, Shulchan Aruch. But uh, Shach says that the three years of Orla is a ticket for that. So again, yeah, other Mauritian's problem was timing. Yeah, timing. Yeah, 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 yeah. The Mitla Rebbe says interesting stuff about that also, about Adam Yodes Chava, about, yeah, he says this, the Eitz Hadas and the Adam Yodes Chava, he basically didn't get to know her well enough. Again, jumping the gun, you know, you know uh, going, uh, getting ahead of yourself. Okay. Anyways, Vidal. So the Misyankiv says here, Shabbat that in the real deep consideration of things, meaning if you really understand Hashem's vast eternal plan, I think that's Tevya's Lush, right? They don't have any sin. He's talking about everyone. He's saying this is. Really, there's no sin. Now, you got to be very, very careful about that when you, you know, there's no sin. There's no such thing as sin. So what do you mean? There's no such thing as sin. 
really, there's nothing wrong with it. The only problem was they didn't wait till the right time. They jumped the gun. What does that mean? They, they jumped the gun. It's like a person who eats a piece of meat. And he doesn't know what he ate. He doesn't know if he ate chalev or shuman. So what's the din? He has to bring a certain type of a carbon called an ashem tolui, a uh, variable sin offer, guilt offering. He doesn't know what he ate. Even if the reality is that he didn't eat anything but shuman, he only ate shuman. It was a permissible thing that he ate. He only ate a shuman. But he still has to bring an asham toloi. Why? Because in his mind he did something wrong or may have done something wrong. So, I mean, the Basiakov is saying something very, very, it's a deep concept here. That really, what's the head? The chet is not the metzias, it's the intention. So really, the metzias is all good. Whatever you did, that's how he's reconciling Bechira with Hashgacha. He's saying, there's, there, there's no thwarting Hashem's plan. Everything's Hashgacha. Even the Yajash Shlochim, even the Avedas are Hashem's plan. He's using though an example where one is really unsure of what happens when one's intention is really not good. <laughs> okay, but that, that's why he's using that as a marshal. He's saying, and, and in the case with Yasef, right. the original so case, they, they, yeah, right. He said, it, what he's saying is that okay, so fine, you didn't have the right intention, and for that, it's like the woman who thinks that she is drinking even though she's bound by a Nazarite vow, and for that, you need slicha. The, the, the Mishnah says she needs slicha. Well, she didn't do anything, but she thinks she did something. So what he's basically saying, this is a very deep philosophical concept, and this is not a blank check. This is not giving Chas permission to do Avedas. It's just explaining what exactly is egregious about Avedas. You're not damaging something, at least, look, there are different there are different shittas, there are different ways of explaining this. Please understand this is one way of looking at it. But the way the Bishyankiv is explaining it is, Mitzias is, did you damage anything? No, you didn't damage anything. But your intention was to rebel, and for that, you need slicha. There's something, look, the relationship clearly is strained. If you think you're doing something against Hashem, if you think you're rebelling, that itself is a problem. Even if really, at the moment you think you're rebelling, you're giving him, giving him exactly what he wants. You know, I, I, I remember one time I was on a campus and I was being asked these questions about, these were, these were college kids, so they weren't asking in terms of Bechira and Hashkocha, but they were asking from a more secular uh, vantage point, from a more secular philosophical vantage point. They were asking about... Um, is there truly free will? And if there's free will, 
if there is indeed free will, how can God be all-knowing? I mean, Yediyah is a little bit different than Hashkacha. Hashkacha is even more so. Not just Hashem knows it's going to be, but He wills for it to be, and He has a desire for it to be. Anyway, so they were asking me all about this. So I told them, <laughs> and since then I've, I've actually used this, this marshal many times. So I think it's helpful. Um, the... Um, what was it called? Uh, they did the experiment in, uh, where was it, in, uh, at Yale, where they had the people, They want, this is like after World War II, I mean, not, not right after, I think it was like in the 50s or the 60s, so in the decades after World War II, and, uh, you know, they kept hearing the famous line that they were hearing as they were finding out more and more about the atrocities of, of the Holocaust, so always the answer was, well, we're following orders. We're following orders. So then the, there became a big hakira, like, uh, can you get any normal person to follow abhorrent orders? So there was this uh, famous experiment, psychological experiment that was administered at Yale, where they took volunteers from campus and they said, come on in and we're going to do a psychological experiment. They didn't tell them what the real experiment was. What they told them is, this is about behavior modification. We want to see if we can get people to answer questions on a test better if they're going to have a um, negative reinforcement for answering wrong. So what we're going to do, we, give, we administer an electric shock if they answer the quiz questions wrong. And that's, we're going to see if that like motivates them to answer the questions better. <laughs> Whatever, that wasn't the real experiment anyway. So it's kind of an absurd premise. But that, that, was, that was the... Uh, that, that was the the narrative that they told them. So they said, all you have to do, you have to sit here at this console, and there's a there's a button. I, I've I've looked at pictures of they have pictures of the the setup that they had there, and it's just a, there's a button, there's a knob, and, uh, and the knob has the voltage, how much electricity you're giving to the person, and you don't see the person. It's through a through a microphone, through a radio. So you ask them questions like you know. Uh, What's the capital of Nevada? And they're like, uh, Reno. Oh, I'm sorry, it's Carson City. Bzz, and you give them a little shock. Okay, and then, you know, you ask them another question, like, uh, should I make up more trivia, fake trivia questions? I wasn't really prepared to do this, but. <laughs> okay, you know. Um, who is the 16th president of the United States? What? Abraham Lincoln? Oh, we don't have to shock you. Okay, very good. All right. It's working, you see? You don't want to get shocked. Okay. Uh, what state was Abraham Lincoln born? Kentucky. You get shocked. You said Illinois? Bzz, but No, but now you have to... It was Kentucky. He was born in Kentucky, even though I'm from Chicago. The license plate said land of Lincoln, but he was born in Kentucky. That's right. Okay, you said Kentucky? We've got to buzz you. Okay, and then, but, they, but they say turn up. They say turn up the voltage. Okay, turn it up a little. Bzz, and then they ask him another question. Um, and he gets it wrong. Oh, turn it up. Turn it up more. Bzz. And after you start turning it up, what happens is the guy on the other side starts screaming. He's like, ow, this hurts. Like, wow, that was really that was really shocking. Or whatever he says. Right? <laughs> and then they're like, okay, turn it up. And at one point on the dial, it's like red and it says danger. And at, at one point, if he keeps getting it wrong, and it's scripted, the, the, the guy purposely gets questions wrong so that you get to this point where you have to turn it up and they say turn it up okay past the red past the red into the danger point right turn it up so um 
And what they did is any time that someone would like hesitate or look at the, the person administering the test, the person administering the test was just very stoic. He was wearing a white lab coat and he had a clipboard and that's it. Like, but that's authority to people. That means authority. Like you have to listen to that person. So there was one line he would say, if you would hesitate and be like, ah, but it says danger. He would just say the same line over and over again. It is very important for the purposes of the experiment that you continue. That's like a meaningless statement. It is very important for the purposes of the experiment that you continue. And then, you know, he'd ask the guy a question and he'd get it wrong. You know, uh, how many uh, how many sides in a in a uh, in an octagon? Seven. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, and uh, turn it up. Oh, but it says danger. It is very important for the purposes of the experiment that you continue. And then finally, what would happen is they would shock the guy, and he would be silent. He would ask him the next question. Yeah, yeah. It'd be like, what date is Groundhog's Day? You're like, no answer. Like, Groundhog's Day. You know what day? There's not answering in there. I think I shocked the guy to death. Oh, no. And then they would reveal to him, oh, I was just an actor. You weren't shocking anybody. And anyways, the point of the experiment is they found out like a ridiculous majority of people would do it. Like regular people off the street would just follow orders and torture people just because somebody in authority told them that they should, which is a side point. Anyways. Imagine if you were <laughs> part of that experiment and you just found out that you shocked the guy to death, but it wasn't real. He, 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 he was only an actor. Now you have this moment of reckoning. The experiment's over and you're like, you're walking outside and you're thinking to yourself, am I a monster? I'm not a monster. I mean, after all, the button wasn't connected to anything. The guy was just an actor. No one got hurt. So do I need to do chova or I don't need to do chova? Is that do I have what to to <laughs> when I'm doing my hajbin hanefish and I'm stock taking and I'm doing my moral inventory, I'm looking at myself. Is there something that needs to be looked at? Or there's nothing to be looked at because everything's fine. No one really got hurt. And the truth is, how is it that different than, than a mugger who goes to shoot somebody and the gun jams? Okay, so you didn't succeed at doing what you thought you were going to do, but you intended to do it. So what is it? Do it again. Would you do it again? Okay, you probably not. The idea of reckoning, you say to yourself, I need to change that action or that thought process. You're going to just do it again. And the consequences will hit. Let's, let's, say even, let's say even you say, you know, I would never do that again. Like a person who says, um, you know, there's two parts of tshuva, ziva sechet and charata. So a person says, look, I have no charata because, look, I, I enjoyed it. I didn't do anything so terrible, but I won't do it anyway. I, 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 got, I got it out of my system. Right? Like Oscar Wilde said, the best way to get rid of a temptation is get, to give into it. Uh, don't listen to Oscar Wilde. He's, don't listen to his. He's not, he, he's not good with moral advice. He was very witty, but. Not necessarily good with moral advice. Anyways. Um, Isn't that the takeaway for Rashi Mkhalei? I thought we see that Rashi Mkhalei was because the person's not sure if he did it, he has no charata. 
Okay, so that's another. There's a sicha from the Rebbe where he speaks about because the guy he's like, look, maybe it wasn't even an iser. So then he uses that to like rationalize. It's not even that bad, and then it like takes the wind out of his sails as far as charata. He doesn't even have charata. I'm not sure that's how the Beis Yaakov is using. That's more like a chiddush of that of that sicha. But the, the the point is, you have a guy who says, look, I won't do it again. But Kharat, I don't I don't feel so bad about it. what did I do? What did I do already? I don't really do anything. But would anybody really do that? Would anybody say I'm not gonna do it again if there's no karata? Yeah, yeah, for sure. People do that all the time. They say, I, I I'm glad I experienced it. I'm glad I checked it off my bucket list. And then, then you know, I don't I won't do it again. Yeah, I don't feel bad about it. I'm just not gonna do it again. Um that's why. Shuva is two components. It's not just aziva sechet. It's charata. There has to be charata. There has to be a, a negative field. In in the derech mitzvah secha of the of the tzemach tzedek, the inikol of the balatanya explains a very interesting oisius why there has to be charata. Why there has to be an emotional component. The emotional component is the opposite of the tainug, the schar avera that the, the chazal call they call it schar schar mitzvah mitzvah schar avera avera. What's schar avera? What's Scharavera? Gan Eden? There's no No, the Scharavera is right now, the Tainuk. So, how do you pull out the Tainuk? You already got the Tainuk from it. The Charata is the anti Tainuk. <laughs> so, the, the bad feeling comes and nullifies the good feeling, gets rid of it. That's why it's necessary for the Chuva process. But at any rate, let's go back to this, this question about the, 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 uh, the experiment at Yale University. You know, push the button. It's very important for the ex- pur- purposes of the experiment that you. Do, that you uh, that you continue with the experiment. So, Ba'emis, according to the Yankov, you could look at every Aveda that way. No one's really, now you can't say no one's really getting hurt, but in the grand scheme of things, nothing's really happening that shouldn't happen. I threw my brother in a pit, I sold him into slavery, but that was supposed to happen. So why should I have Kharata? Like the woman who drank wine, and then she finds out, oh, but I wasn't the Nazar when I when I drank the wine. So what the Beishanker is saying is it's an Adela Inyan here. It's an Adela Inyan. There are two things. You have to be mechalic. There's two things going on here. One is the Metzias. The other is the intent. So the Metzias may very well be that you didn't cause anything to happen that shouldn't have happened. In fact, you may have caused exactly what was supposed to happen to happen. And it doesn't negate the fact that at the very same time, you have what to be forgiven for because you chose to do something that as far as you knew, he says, Behek of Daita, within the parameters of her knowledge, was, was a, was a uh, rift in the relationship. So really what it comes down to is it doesn't really matter so much the the objective effect of the sin. Maybe in the Abishter's big, vast plan, it was all good. It was all necessary. But what matters is the psychology. Why did you want to be separate from Hashem? Even if at the moment you were 
choosing separation from, from Hashem, you're actually carrying out his deepest desire. <laughs> Doesn't matter. You wanted, you were mentally and emotionally in a place where you felt separate and wanted separation. So it's a it's a very able concept, a very subtle idea here that requires a lot of like acceptance of being able to accept like okay, I made a mistake, but it was also Russell Hashem that that mistake was also Russell. Right. So it's it's you have to yeah. So it's a deep thing because on one hand it's like you didn't ruin anything, you didn't ruin anyone's life, you didn't ruin your life, you didn't ruin Hashem's plan, you you didn't take the steering wheel away from Hashem. Hashem was always holding the steering wheel the whole time. At the same time, you have to feel bad because you wanted to be separate from Hashem. As far as you know, as far as you knew, you were choosing rebellion, you're choosing separation. So it's a, it's, it's, it's a deep concept. It's, it's a, a very healing concept, though. And it's healing. And, and that's what the Bishyanka was saying, that Yesu was sharing this idea with the Shvatim that it should help them heal. In other words... You may need some slicha, but ultimately, like, no. Right. And like, and, like, when you're seeking the tikkun, know what the tikkun is for. When you're fixing something, know what needs to be fixed. The situation actually doesn't need to be fixed. The situation is... The mind, that's right. The mind. That's why, by the way, in the Geras HaTshuva, in Tanya, the Alter Rebbe says that, that Tshuva... Ilah is Bina, which is Limra Torah. That the whole tikkun that Truva brings on is, is, is mental. You have to straighten out your cup. Because really, what, what's the real dysfunction of any Aveda? It's the headspace that you were in in order to choose the Aveda. And this is also related to the concept. Chazal say that hirhur aveda kosha neaveda. That in some respects, fantasizing about a sin is worse than the sin. Now that also you have to be mature to understand what context to take that in. Because if I fantasize about killing a guy, it is actually better for his family than if I kill the guy. Because right, I fantasize about killing him, he's still going to come home at night. If you actually kill him, right, that's going to interrupt his his life if you kill him, right? So. Obviously, you have to take this within context, but you want to talk about you want to talk about how it affects the person, the person who's doing the Aveda. Sometimes it could be that fantasizing about an Aveda, especially in a prolonged way, could be more spiritually damaging to you than if you would just go and do it once. You just do it and get it over with and do it in a superficial way. Maybe even you were not. You know, we do plenty of things perfunctorily. You know, you'd have in Shemineser, you can't remember if you, did I say Yalav I don't know, did I say anything? And that's it, I don't, know. I don't remember, right? So you could, you, could, you could do an Aveda that way too. I don't even remember. It wasn't even Gishmak, I don't even remember doing it, right? So, again, this is not giving anyone any license to do anything. The point is that, and again, if a person does an Aveda, that causes something in the world. And if he thinks about it, it's only in his own head. But if you want to talk about the psychological effect or the spiritual effect on the person himself, uh, yeah, it can be a lot more disruptive to your relationship with Hashem 
to be in a in a bad mental space than to do something that was prohibited. Again, you know, I, I just want to clarify again, we're not we're not trying to tell people to take evaders lightly, but it's just an interesting perspective that really what's the issue? The issue is I have to look at myself and ask myself, why did I want to be? Why was I comfortable with being the 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 instrument for something that as far as I knew was against Hashem. Even if later on, it'll be revealed to me that it was all part of the plan. Doesn't change the fact that I must have been in a bad space mentally and emotionally that I was ready to volunteer <laughs> to be the conduit for that. You know, there's the Chazal say, Megalgalin Megalgalin And Hashem makes good things happen through good people, bad things happen through bad people. What does that mean? It means that in the end of the day, the Eivishter is running the world. He's going to make whatever, whether it's a, a schos or a, or a chiyov, whatever it is, he's going to make it happen. And he has his plan, he has his reasons, all practice. But why was I the one who said, oh yeah, I'll do it, I'll be the shliach for something that as far as I know is not what Hashem wants. Even if later it'll be revealed to me, no, that was exactly the plan. That was the plan all along. And that's what Yosef does and tell us to them while they're throwing him in the pit. The only <laughs> not only does he not tell them when they're throwing him in the pit, he doesn't even tell them that when, he, when they first meet him. Because remember, he told them a lot of stuff about their lives. He was telling them what kind of wood their cradles was made out. That's why they, they told Yankov, we couldn't lie to the guy. He says, why did you tell him you had a baby brother? Well, he couldn't lie to the guy. He knew what kind of wood our cradles are made because he, he had that chalice, right? And he would divine with his chalice. So he could have said, oh, I see that you once threw your brother in a pit. But don't worry about it because really, you know, he didn't tell them that until he knew they did chuva. Because he, the whole story of his revealing himself to them was he revealed himself to them after he knew that they did chuva. So after that they felt bad about it, it's like, once you feel bad about it, then you could find out, well, really, you should feel bad, but you should know what you're feeling bad about. You should, you're not really feeling bad about the fact you caused something to happen that shouldn't have happened, because really it should have happened. But you should feel bad about where you were in here that you were willing to align yourself with something that as far as you knew what, what, what was a bad thing. It's a, it's a deep concept. It, I mean, it's really, it's not uh, not a small idea here. Okay, let, let, maybe let's just finish this, uh, this paragraph here. I don't think we'll finish the whole thing. Okay, so he gives the mushal of the guy who ate uh, Shuman and thought he ate Chalav, and he has to bring in Ashim Toloi. And uh, yeah, so that's where we left off. Fine. Cain Osset, so too, in the future. Meaning when Mashiach comes, HaKadosh Baruch Hu levarer es Yisrael shema'elam lo'i achlu shum davar Yisrael He's going to reveal to them, you never did an Aveda. Now obviously, what does that mean? Halachically, they never did an Aveda? I didn't even, I, is that what the Beis Yankee was saying? I'm not even sure how we would explain that. I'm not even sure how we would explain that. That really, the MS, it was never an Aveda at all. I mean, I'll take this on a level of drush. 
not learning this as a halacha safer, but relatively speaking, it, you never did an Aveda. I mean, he says it very, very, you know, categorically. You never ate anything not kosher. And if you ever did, it wasn't, and your only Aveda was that you didn't look for a haksher and you were willing to eat not kosher. But by MS, you were saved from it. You didn't, no, the, the, the piece that you ate was actually kosher. You lucked out. The Avishter protected you. You never ate today. You just think that you ate it. And for that, you had to have done chuva, but you never really ate today. Okay. Really, all of your sins were only from your own psychological perspective, which isn't dismissing it and saying it's nothing, like we've been saying at length. That is significant itself. That you would want to separate yourself from Hashem is obviously significant and needs to be rectified. And now he says, but for the nations of the world. Hashem is not going to tell them, surprise, good news. We looked into it and we found out that every Aveda you think that you really did wasn't really an Aveda. Oh, he's going to tell them, uh, no, they were all Avedas. <laughs> Rather, what they did in their dark deeds, Cain Bechayshech, Samom Yechusa Ad, their darkness will cover them forever. So, no such luck. I'm sorry to tell you, the Aveda that you intended on doing, it was an Aveda. You nailed it. Yeah, you nailed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not in a good way. I don't mean that in a good way. Anyways, deep well, concept. Say again. Yeah. No, does he give him a way? I mean, according to this, he's 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 giving them a a, a rule for for life. It's a witness, and they've done tshuva. He's witnessed it. Right, yeah, but he's teaching them a rule for life. It's not just now. It's now. It's about going forward. It's about everything. Yeah, it's to be aware. <laughs> to be aware of your mindset. Helping them be less broken after they're there because they've done tshuva. Because they've done tshuva, and also that they know now what it is that they have to be aware of. You have to be aware of your your mental space. It's interesting the distinction between Umas Olam and Yisrael. That's the difference. I mean, he's not saying that's the only difference, but yeah, he said, yeah, yeah. Well, what are you getting at? I don't know. It's just I've never heard that distinction so clearly. But like for Umas Olam, it's okay. I mean, for Umas Olam, it's not okay. What you what you did was what you intended, but for Yisrael, it's um. It's almost like there's there's really no here, but but the Umas Olam you do like you chose this. Yeah, yeah. Well, there there there's a concept about Machshava Teva, Kodesh Baruch Hu, Metzara Flamaisa, and uh, the way the Eibushter judges it for 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 Yidden Umas Olam is different. So uh, intent works in 
can be intent can be used lenient as a lenient factor or as a as a as a, the opposite as a condemning factor. So uh, in this case, no, you wanted to, you wanted to do bad. Yeah, you did. Yeah, so it's counted that you did bad. Yeah. Uh, the, the, there's there's a deeper explanation to this as well. I don't know. Maybe I think uh, we'll leave it at that for now. But at any rate, this is a very deep concept here. Basically, the Beis Yanki was saying that we have to watch our intent. We have to watch our intent. That the uh, Emes were never disconnected from Hashem's plan, but it's, it's, it's bad enough that a person thinks they're disconnecting. And for that, we got to we got to try to do only the things that we know Hashem wants us to do. So, and if you're not, not sure if Hashem wants you to do it, you know, you go ask your local Orthodox rabbi and you find out if it's uh, if it's a good idea. Okay.